Welcome everyone to the Tori says so. Tess says so. I mean says show. Oh dear. Uh, that tongue is still thick uh, from that uh, sting, yellow jacket, bee sting, whatever it was. And um, I don't think my uh, microphone is being my friend today. So crazy, crazy, crazy stuff happening, right? Lots of people talking about things we've been talking about for a while. Um, and that's because people can finally see. Um, when people realize that everything that we see is an illusion, um, it's pretty terrifying. It is very terrifying, actually. Um, having been in that position myself on a personal level, uh, for someone that always worked uh, within illusions for a living, I could tell you it's a it's a pretty, it's not a pill. It's a boulder that you need to swallow. Um, so we've got a lot. It's, it's not the, yeah, it's not the Filipino do jamming that we did last time. Uh, I found this remix and that's so that way I can have it on YouTube as well. I mean, uh, YouTube just dings for everything. Um, so Shadowgate 2, I just wanted to start off. We are going to be releasing the trailer. Now, the trailer is not like the trailer last time where it kind of told just a story and kind of... This trailer is going to have people running for the hills. Um, and that's uh, purposely done so only because, you know, the producer and the journalist um, that are putting it together are actually occupied with a political trial that everyone says is not political when it totally is. So uh, we're having a few, I want to say a few delays on that end. Um, the trailer is going to be so... Uh, Ooh, how do I use the words? Um, I'm smiling while I'm thinking because it has to be the right word. Uh, you, uh, I want to say explosive, but it's like bigger than that. Do I say like Moab kind of thing? Explosive. It's like massive. Like I'm going to tell you the trailer is probably going to be banned. Just the trailer is going to be banned. Uh, and it's going to be, it's not going to be just, oh, blah, blah. It's going to be like, look, oops, receipts, oops, receipts, oops, receipts. So, uh, you know, that's how it comes in. That's how it should come in. Now, we're seeing a lot of this coming out now. Everyone's talking about what's really going on, how everything is being driven by interests and, you know, people on payroll and atomic. I like that. Atomic. People on payroll, people all lying on both sides. And, you know, today I was kind of looking at the news in regards to Assange. 
And I was kind of like shocked. I was like, is, has everyone lost their damn mind? So let me, let me show you something and tell you something for those that are listening to this on a podcast. If you see the ACLU Human Rights Coalition, right, the one that had that chief pedo Schwartz that was working with Hillary Clinton that was caught trying to pimp, trying to buy services of a two-year-old, was it a nine-month-old and something like that, an infant and a nine-year-old. So when you see Human Rights Coalition, ACLU, Amnesty International, Reporter Committee for Freedom of the Press, which is, by the way, part of the military industrial complex, you see CPJ, European Center for Press and Media Freedom, when we know they don't have freedom, National Union of Journalists, Dr. Assange, what the... Where'd that come from? Lawyers for Assange, excuse me. OSE, when you see all of these people advocating for something together, what would you do? You'd run the other way and be like, I don't care what they're advocating. All of these people advocating for one thing means I need to do the opposite. This goes back to the example yesterday where it was posed. If you have one person that always tells the truth, and one person that always lies. And you need to know if you need to go left or right, but you can only ask one of them a question and you don't know if it's a liar or the truth teller, right? To find out which way to go. How do you ask that? How do you figure it out? You ask any of them a question because you don't know who it is, truth teller or liar, and say, which direction would the other person tell me to go? And if they say left, what do you do? You go right. So if all of these people are claiming that Assange should not be extradited to the United States. What does that tell you? He needs to come to the United States. That's what's up. That is what's up. Now, as they're advocating and you see people on the right advocating, right? Because they really don't trust the president. That's what it means. It means that they still don't know who our president is. You know, there's receipts. There's people that went and visited Assange, okay? And the conversations are all on the record, okay? And none of that stuff was cryptic or secret, okay? So we got Hollywood, we got journalists, we got, 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 got. So now, as this is going on, there's another camp. Here's a new, you know, PSYOP where these bots are coming in and they're saying, oh, didn't you promise him a pardon to come over here? Where's his pardon? You better not pardon him. If he brings, if he goes there, you better not. And it's like, wait a minute, you're advocating for Assange to not be extradited, but you're also saying you don't want him to be pardoned, even though you want him to be pardoned. So confused. So this is incredible. Now I have a lot of people saying, but his parents, but, but his girlfriend lawyer. And it's like, have you looked into all of that? Let me tell you something. They will lie to you. They will cheat from you. They will lie to you again. They will promise you real estate on the moon. They will promise you everything as long as they get what they want. They will promise you, we promise, here's a house, here's some land. Look at this big fat bank account we just gave you at UBS where you could go pull, pull, pull. And hey, here's a card, 
unlimited limit. You go do whatever your heart's desire content. You just need to make sure that Julian Assange understands that he needs to not go to the U.S. That's what's up. That's what's up. So when you see all these organizations, all of them, I don't give a crap what they're advocating for. You run. You run. You run, you run. It's like one of those moments, it totally happened. I'm not embarrassed to say it, where we're walking down the street with my youngest. And as I'm walking down the street, I stopped because I remembered that I dropped my lighter a few feet back. So I stopped dead in my tracks and I start running, right? Just, I ran because that was like a lighter that meant something to me and I ran, and as I was running, she passes me running. And I'm like, why are you running? She's like, because you're running and you never run. So if you're running, I'm running. So that's the way we should do it, okay? We should all be running away from all of these organizations, right? Because if they're running towards it, we need to be going in the other direction, right? So um, that's number one for Assange. Run when you see them. Uh because this is um, a big issue, okay? It is a very big issue. Um, someone said, "I'm, I'm, I like that she she like totally passed me, and I bent over, picked up. I was like, "Where are you going?" She's like, "Why are you running? Why are you running?" I was like, "Because I wanted to get my." But you never just run. <laughs> if you're running, I know everybody should be running. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so, okay. So back to Assange. So we've got all these insane things popping up. Um, reinforced charges, more things coming up. You know, the world is freaking out on it. Uh, there's more of this, more of that. Like, it's just, it's pure insanity. But it's beefing things up uh, for a purpose, of course. And um that's because we want him here, period, at any cost. And the United Kingdom dragging their feet is only going to make it worse for them. Only worse for them. So it's important to understand that <laughs> if he doesn't get here, there's going to be a delay in rolling out our debt-free nation that's something that should concern all of us. It's still going to happen, but it's, uh, it's something really important that we need him here. He holds the keys to the kingdoms. WikiLeaks has been infiltrated by WikiStrat while Assange. Well, they were always on the underlying without Assange knowing, but while he was at the embassy, a lot of things were going around that he couldn't see or put his finger on, but could sense. Remember, this is a guy that as a teenager hacked a system. So he's not stupid. Okay? He's not a, an idiot. So when I see people talking about Assange needing, needing to be free and stay there, he's not going to be free. He's going to be an eternal prisoner there. He's not going to have sanction. So the fact that they don't want Assange here should tell you everything you need to know on that. Now, in other news, 
felt it felt pretty good. But then I'm also confused because obviously this is cover, right? Um, oh, by the way, I dug up some articles that had been disappeared. Um, yeah, with my coronavirus, uh, I don't want to say predictions, but facts, because now they're facts. Um, so Paul Sperry yesterday tweeted out that investigators have learned that Obama CIA director John Brennan ran a secret task force out of Langley with his own separate budget to investigate Trump campaign and alleged ties to Russia. Task force set up before FBI officially launched its own probe on 731-16. Now, that's a cover, okay? Because remember, the FBI put CrowdStrike hired CrowdStrike and tried to infiltrate the DNC servers to help cover up those emails 2015, July 2015. That contract to CrowdStrike was paid by the FBI. That contract to CrowdStrike was paid a year afterwards, which was two days after Comey exonerated Hillary Clinton, <laughs> right? So this is a cover, okay? Launched before 731. I already told you what happened because I know. And, uh, you know, pretty interesting. I mean, I thought Steve Urkel, I was like, oh, where's everybody? Everybody's gone. Come on. I have some crow for all of you to eat. Why aren't you here? You know, telling me how I just searched the Internet and I don't know what I'm talking about. Wait, wait. Someone sent me a really interesting oldie book goodie. And I was like, you know what? I need to play that for my audience so they can hear it. Someone that says things that I said. Oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't know that other people could say things. <laughs> Here we go. Take a listen to this. She refused to. Turns out she has a partner named Dennis Lee Montgomery. Easy to remember. I'll, very, I'll sit down with you after. I don't want to try to. He's her. a very a genius computer guy. What they did is they actually had, they were working for the CIA. And they, they masked it as, uh, you, I'm sure you'll remember this, the contracts with the CIA, which I had plenty of copies, said that they were decoding Al Jazeera television, said that there was broadcast embedded. Remember that? Yeah. Owned by Gore. Well, Gore's got part of it now, but it's all bullshit. That was bullshit. That was a front by the CIA. And this guy worked for Brennan and Clapper. Those were the two guys running it. He started out in 2004 with another partner in Reno, Nevada, called Etrepid. They collected about $40 million from the CIA, from the CIA. Top security clearance, all kinds of letters, emails, fallout. Gets my wife in 2006. They started a new company that she owns. And... They start doing the same business for the government. What it really turns out they were doing is they were hacking into all of America. Everything they said they didn't do that Brennan said recently and uh, mainly uh, Clapper is all bullshit. And I've got it right here. So this guy, ISIS, during the divorce, it was very contentious. Front page Wall Street Journal and all this nonsense. Between you and you. Yeah. Uh, so we accused him publicly, this Maloney, of hacking into our attorney-client privilege because they, they knew too much. We could never prove it. So we took his deposition several times. 
and something happened very weird. Every time he took a we took his deposition, the head of the civil division, Carlotta Wells, of the Department of Justice would show up as CIA agents. To show up. Every court appearance. CIA agents. Head of the civil division. I said, Jesus Christ, something's got to be wrong here. So, in 2006, when my wife got together with the guy, when he left the first company, he gets a call from the CIA guy uh, named Joe Libatory and says, the FBI is going to raid your house in three days. He's got a FISA search warrant from the FISA court. So he takes all the hard drives that he made copies of. FBI comes in, raiding. Mike Flynn, the lawyer who's here with me, was representing the guy at the time. They go to court. Federal judge says, this is bullshit. Throws it out. Says, there's obviously something here that we don't know about. And the government came in and imposed a state secret privilege and a protective order in Nevada, because that's where the guy lived. And so they said, anything you, anything you did as a government contractor, you can never tell. Well, they were trying to keep the guy quiet from what he really did. So we take the guy's deposition, and he's, I, I get nothing out of him. The last deposition was a year, almost two years ago now. Palm Desert, California, a little tame legal office, and all these CIAs that show up with guns and, and Carlotta Wells, head of the criminal civil division, the DOJ. What the hell are you showing up for? Well, cut and paste 2012 June. Montgomery calls me, and he goes, I want to talk to you. I said, I don't want to talk to you, you son of a bitch. Why do you want to talk to me? He said, you've been hacking into my attorneys. And he goes, I want to talk to you. He said, I've got a brain aneurysm. I'm probably not going to make it. And I need to get some things right. So I reluctantly meet him, but I give him a subpoena. We give him a friendly subpoena. So anything he gave to me, other guys was subpoena. I just wanted to say, so here's where they're talking about where I removed the passports and they edited stuff. This is what you need to listen to. So there's tons of people. Listen to this guy. They were listening in on his lawyer stuff, suddenly got a messy divorce, suddenly got sick. You know, whenever you're probing into them, they come at you. And remember, at that time, Brennan was not the CIA director when all this went down. He was Senator Obama's advisor and then the advisor to President Obama, right? But he was always in the CIA and he was always doing things and setting up these companies. Now, what's incredible, well, let's just listen to the rest of this and then I'll tell you more. He says, you know, you guys are right. I did hack into all your stuff. I gave it to your ex-wife and all the lawyers. And he said, there's a lot more. He said, what I really did as a government subcontractor was I hacked into all of America. Wait a minute. Oh, what I really did as a government subcontractor, which means he was a private contractor, which means he was a contractor to a primary subcon to a primary contractor, right? Or a uh, subcontractor to a child contractor, meaning subcontractor of the primary con. How crazy is that, right? So it's the government, then the guy that gets the award, which is primary contractor, which you are afforded whistleblower rights at that point. And then you're a subcontractor to the primary or a subcontractor to the subcontractor. So that way, how many times removed so their hands aren't dirty? America for Brennan and Clapper. And I said, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy stuff. Can you prove it? 
So it took about, it's taken me eight months of dancing with this guy. And finally, he starts giving more evidence, more evidence, and then it just, it just blew me away. So I called Fox News, and Carl Cameron, you know, the reporter, Carl's been there 27 years, and I trust Carl. Carl came flying out with his film crew, and they filmed for a week in the last 30 days. The guy had aneurysm surgery in the last three months. He was not successful. He probably will not live. So I think what it is, he, he wants to, 10 years under, eight years under a rock. He's tired of it. He may not live. He wants to get his life squared away. And he's pissed off at the administration. Uh, he got a death threat in writing last week. And so I said to him, when the Snowden thing came down, he starts laughing to me. He goes, Snowden is a punk. He doesn't have any information like I've got. So he starts showing me what he has. And I'm going, holy shit. He's got 900 million phone calls recorded. I mean, you, you call me, how long, what date, what time of day. 900 million phone calls. Like I said, there was a database that I had complete access to, complete, uh, you know, it, it was legal. They never revoked my credentials. I had every right to. It's a private company. And I got to listen to all of them. Exactly. They have everything on everyone. Okay, that's one thing. They did it for the government. This is on a government computer, paid for by the government, CIA, at Fort Washington, Maryland, which is 10530 Riverview Road in Fort Washington, Maryland. Then he's got bank accounts with the passwords and the usernames that the government got, just randomly all over the country. There's 153,000 in this county alone. 153,000 people were hacked in by Brennan and Clapper. And I got all their names. Brennan is head of the CIA. Now. Now. CIA. Clapper is what? He's DNI. Department of Intelligence. A National Intelligence. So those are the two common factors. Now, if you go back the string, let's get the string back with Brennan. Brennan was CIA under Bush 43. He was like executive director. My ex-wife, and Jack, I was on Jack Kemp's board for 10 years. Jack was a dear buddy of mine. So I was in the Republican circles. So my ex-wife was asked Jack Kemp to go to Cheney to try and speed up a new government contract, which was slow. So they take her to the... Speed up a new government contract, which was slow. So this is Sheriff Joe and Blixeth on Montgomery. Uh, you should listen to it. I've archived it. I haven't listened to the whole thing only because it wasn't something that I needed to listen to at the time. But what you need to understand is, is that this is their classic M.O. And, uh, you know, it's all a, an illusion. Whatever they tell you is bullshit, basically. It is. It's the most incredible story that will ever be told that everyone has been living in a fairy tale for decades an illusion that they built 
and the media helped prop up, the consumer industry helped prop up, and all these desk jockeys that you see in offices that are brick and mortar government are simply for decoration. They're like plants, you know, they just exist. And a lot of them are just the gateway to the private contractors. I mean, when you realize that every single war, every single um, foreign activity we've had with nations, uh, either that be negotiations, whatever, had always had private contractors smack in the middle doing all the work. Or it was the private contractors that would pull out the strategies for the generals and the admirals that would tell them, this is what your troops are doing. And they, guess what? We're not. Soldiers, some of them may have been and left the service, but they were not people in the battlefield. They were not, uh, you know, desk jockeys. And uh, basically, they run the world. It's these private contractors. <laughs> and that is how it is. And what you will see, and I want you to envision, I want you to envision that you're standing on like a picture of the earth, right? You've seen those pictures where it's like half of the earth with trees and people standing on it, right? I want you to visualize that. So that's you. Now in the sky, I want you to visualize two massive titans, right? And they're fighting in the sky, like fighting. So as these people are fighting, you're just watching. You're just along for the show. Right. Sometimes a stray bullet will take one of the people out looking up in the sky <laughs> and they're fighting for control of what the puppet strings. That's it. Nobody cares. So when we say enjoy the show, it's making it evident that all of this is a show. All of this is these disgusting titans coming from Tartarus fighting for your souls, basically your minds, because they need to hijack your mind. They can't take you out if you don't let them. And they look huge because you're on your knees. They look massive because they control every megaphone, TV, social media outlet and whatnot. Now, let me tell you guys. Yesterday was a very interesting evening. So discussion with team, something comes up and it's like, you know, this happened a couple years ago. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that there was someone out there that may or may not have had information that could have quashed all this General Flynn drama earlier? Yes. And you mean to tell me that no one of these conservative big names did anything with it? No. Actually, I followed up with one of them and they said, oh, no, no, General Flynn's fine. He's cooperating. Totally ignored to say, I got the goods. You know something about, let me tell you something. If you're working, let's say, for example, at McDonald's and that's where the president uh, you know, orders his Big Macs from. I'm just saying, this is just hypothetically speaking, not even close to what I'm trying to simile it to. So if, uh, if you are working at McDonald's and you notice that someone licks 
the bun when they're sending it to the president and you take pictures and then, I don't know, maybe you steal a paper that says, this is how you lick the bun and make sure you spit on it, right? I'm just saying. And you go turn that in. You can get arrested because you're a private employee of a private company and you stole documents from a private company. You are not afforded whistleblower protection, even if you're protecting the president or General Flynn. So what's even crazier is that these people that had access to information that may or may not have helped General Flynn be free faster. These, these journalists, supposedly, they told this poor woman, man, whatever, hey, uh, we're going to give you whistleblower protection. And it's like, um, that's not how it works. Like, why would they say that? Why would they obtain stolen documents and then sit on them and not help the general? That's a big deal. That should be coming out soon. And um, I'm really pissed. I'm really, really pissed. So pissed. But I have to say that on a side note, that conversation <laughs> gave me something that I've been working on for a, I'm going to tell you, possibly 15 years. I didn't know how the Awan brothers were communicating with ISI intelligence. And I found that out. That was the missing link, and that's coming soon. But... I just have to say I'm super excited about this one. Um, and I haven't been excited. Like, this was like a dead story. Like, you know, I knew it was there because I had seen it happen. I just didn't know how it was being done or where it was being done. Now I've got pictures of the actual location where it's being done. And it's like, that's what's up. So I'm just saying I'm excited about it. I'm putting it together. Um, and that came out great, even though all of us who came across this insane, you know, it could be a nothing burger, right? It could, because we haven't seen the documents, but why would someone not go forward with it? That sounds super nasty. I mean, maybe they'll come forward now and say, oh, it wasn't nothing, Burger. Trust me. That's why I sat on it for two years and did nothing. Huh? Because that's what always happens. You trip over your own mouth. Uh, you get caught trying to mitigate. That's what's up. All right. So having said that, having said that, and it wasn't blackberries, man, stop. I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to leave it. It's just a hell of fun. Let's just say it this way. Now, I wanted to start um, our news cycle for today with um, our press secretary's interview this morning. Um, well, it, it, was, it was pretty interesting. So let's listen to it. I caught it while I was trying to um, get my child ready for her first day of high school. And you know what sucked? I never got that first day of high school because, you know, I, I was, I, I didn't, I didn't have normal school like others, but, um, I, um, I feel sad because I want my child 
just like the other one, to have that first day at high school, your locker assignment, you're in the big kids place now, you're doing this, you're doing that. And she has to do everything online, which by the way, I caught her on Twitter by looking at her feed um, when she was supposed to be taking a break or doing something. So um, she didn't like that. Um, But, you know, it is the age of information. So we have to be a little bit more on top of our kids, especially when they're online and we have like predators, you know, predator teachers trying to skew their minds and telling them how they should be ashamed for their skin color and, you know, how they're, you know, uh, supposed to be apologetic for just, um, the, <laughs> it's just, I, I can't, I can't. Some of this stuff is just like, it makes your, your, your uh, okay. Cause it's like that principal. What is it? The assistant principal we saw that was like Antifa promoting. And he said, you're in a lot of trouble if you don't, uh, you know, in my school, I'm going to, you know, whatever. If you're not apologetic, black lives matter. You know, he was like insane. They're everywhere. Teach America is everywhere. So anyway, let's start with our um, press secretary. And, and good luck to all the children that have started their first cyber school year um, with no communications. Here we go. Ainsley, good morning. What was your reaction uh, yesterday to Joe Biden going after President Trump uh, on the economy? Actually, yeah. we, let's play it and then you can get your react. We'll get your reaction on the other side. President Trump keeps talking about how great this economy is how great the stock market is, but hadn't been so great for the rest of us. Millions of people out of work, evictions on the rise, 20 million people worrying about where they're going to lose their home. What in God's name else can this guy do? Let's look at one simple fact. This president is on track to be the only president in modern history to end up with fewer jobs at the end of his term than existed in America when he began his term. Kaylee, is that fair? We just went through, or we are in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, the one thing for Joe, he wants to talk about simple facts. I have a few simple facts for him. Let's start with the fact that Obama Biden oversaw the slowest economic recovery since World War II. He had his bite at the apple. That's what they delivered. Compare that to President Trump's fastest economic recovery in modern history. Uh, the CBO told us that we were supposed to have double digit unemployment until the end of the year. Uh, we are in single digits right now. Record number of jobs created, outpacing the rest of the world um, on, on in terms of economic recovery. So we're on track with the jobs president, uh, but the pathetic record of Obama Biden stands very clear. And those are simple facts. All right. Uh, the other thing that everyone's talking about, we was excited about, but it seems to be politicized is the race to get a vaccine. The president said December, I'm hoping for uh, uh, maybe earlier in November. Uh, Joe Biden says the president's got a credibility issue. Let's listen. <laughs> I would want to see what the scientists said. Did you trust Fauci and the FDA, sir? I, I, I want full transparency on the vaccine. One of the problems is the way he's playing with policy is he said so many things that aren't true. I'm worried if we do have a really good vaccine, people are going to be reluctant to take it. And Q, you just got PSYOP. See how easy that is? We don't like vaccines. The president doesn't like vaccines. So now we get the left pandering that we don't want vaccines. So if they're saying they don't want vaccines, then we can't enforce the vaccines. You see how that works? 
Woo. That's what's up. So he's, he's undermining public confidence. But pray God we have it. If I could get a vaccine tomorrow, I'd do it. It would cost me the election, I'd do it. We need a vaccine. We need it now. Was the president going to come up with the vaccine himself or was he going to depend on the scientists? He's going to depend on the scientists, which is what he's done every single step of the way. Uh, what you see Democrats doing is very, very dangerous. They are literally playing politics with people's lives here by sowing doubt about a vaccine. We have renowned experts um, over at Operation Warp Speed that are working on this. President Trump has tore through bureaucratic, bureaucratic barriers so we can get a safe, effective and timely vaccine. And once again, compare that to Obama Biden, where they promised a vaccine. Uh, they vastly under performed. I mean, you have Biden's advisor uh, back in the, the Obama Biden day saying it's a pure miracle, a fortuity uh, that swine flu wasn't a mass casualty event of our time. You know, Kaylee, last time you were with us, we asked you about that music. You would think that you would be able to figure out where it's coming from. That's right. I, apparently it's some sort of protest. But what's funny is I don't oh. think the viewers can hear the music. So they think that we're just hearing this music in our no, heads. We can, hear it. There. No, we, no, can, we can we hear, can hear it. hear it. Hey, um, you know, clearly the president, as he goes to Jupiter, Florida today and then to North Carolina as well, he's going to be talking about the environment today uh, down in uh, Florida, where people are very concerned about the red tide and blue algae. Uh, but he's also going to be talking about the chaos in the streets and the economy. Now, one of the things that uh, Hogan Gidley put out a statement yesterday talking about the differences between the president and Joe Biden. And one of the things he said was that Joe Biden is uh, promising to raise taxes on more than 80 percent of taxpayers by four trillion dollars. That's a lot of money on social media. You see people talking about he's going to double our taxes and things like that. Where are you getting that figure? He's going to raise uh, four trillion dollars on 80 percent of the people. Yeah, well, just one simple proposal. Look at the payroll tax on Capitol Hill. You have a Democrat there proposing to roll back the president's uh, payroll tax forgiveness. This is a, a, a huge tax that forgives uh, that that benefits mostly middle and low income workers. Um, and at the same time, we're not touching Social Security because the money is coming out of the general fund to pay for this. Just simply the payroll tax. Democrats will pull that back and also the Trump tax cut. But doesn't a majority of the four trillion dollars come from people making more than four hundred? thousand dollars a year. Now, when you look at the Trump tax cuts, what they've done is benefit mostly low and middle income Americans as a percentage. I mean, the payroll tax cuts in particular, that's for people making under one hundred thousand dollars. It is a regressive tax. And we know that low and middle income workers, the vast majority of their taxes come from that payroll tax. So that's what this president has prioritized in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and you'll have Joe Biden and others rolling back those Trump tax cuts and not forgiving the payroll tax, which President Trump has promised that he would do. So, Kaylee, the Senate is heading back to today. What's the latest on uh, the, the COVID relief? Yeah, right now, again, it's Nancy Pelosi playing politics. She has been fundamentally unserious every step of the way here. They would ask for a certain number of school funding. We would exceed that amount and then they would reject it. She's saying she wants $2.5 trillion, but won't say what that money will go to. Democrats want a bailout for blue states. And look at the priorities here. When this president uh, put out EOs to help stop evictions um, and to that payroll tax cut I mentioned and other items, what was Nancy Pelosi doing? Vacationing and going to a 
hair salon when no one else in California or in her area at least had the benefit of that. Yeah, well, the rubber hits the road evidently is money to states and who's it going to go to and where is it going to end up. Meanwhile, the other big story that's been resonating over the last three days is Jeffrey Goldberg's Atlantic magazine report that said that the president called those who died in World War One uh, suckers uh, and some other disparaging losers. remarks and losers. Uh, and veterans in particular. He says he has anonymous sources and more are coming forward. We did note John Bolton told Martha McCallum last night, who's not a fan of the president, uh, that it didn't happen and he was there. Zach Fuentes, an aide to General Kelly, says it didn't happen and he was there. Um, who else was there that you like to hear from? Well, I've heard from enough people. I've heard, in fact, from 19 on-the-record sources who put their names on their testimony. And those 19 sources, more than a dozen of which have first-hand accounts, have dismissed this, said it is fundamentally untrue. You have a liberal activist publication in The Atlantic proffering these absolute lies about President Trump. Um, and again, anonymous, cowardly anonymous sources won't put their name on their allegations, but you have now almost 20 people putting their names on this and saying that this is fundamentally untrue. And this president loves our veterans. I see it each and every day. Uh, he deeply cares about our military. And this is Democrats trying to wedge uh, veterans away from a president that has done more for them than any president in the history of our country. All right. Taylor McEnany. Great press uh, secretary. Great information. Sounds awesome. Sounds like we're on the right track with our messaging. I mean, we're not even going to get into Biden's attempted, uh, you know, the president doesn't know what he's talking about. It's the president's fault. He's done everything. All the jobs lost is his fault. Coronavirus is his fault. What else? But what we really need to talk about is what they've been advocating and I've been talking about for a very, very long time which is how they want to steal the elections. I've told you that the reason that Biden was put up for president, right, was in order to stop and disallow us to get them for the crimes they did because it would be considered election meddling. Hence why he delayed his throwing hat, throwing his name out there. He waited until April 25th, 2019 to announce uh, because then the Ukraine scandal was going to start. That would give it at least a year, you know, to fester and, you know, have all these hearings and impeach the president because they were sure they were going to impeach him. And they failed. So they released the control of virus, this infodemic, and they used weapons of war to perpetuate it. And we've been talking about it and I've been writing about it. And I told you how they were inflating numbers in March and how this was all going to pan out. But, you know, uh, whatever. Right now, before we get into that, which is the most important, I think we should visit these uh, sudden uh, moves by Fox Business bringing on very corrupt people to talk about the economy. Now, Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank. Hmm. Big deal here. But I've talked about this before, Allianz Group, right? It's interesting how the Murdochs have brought them on to talk about the economy. I want you to take a listen to this. Joining me right now is Allianz Chief Economic Advisor, Mohammed El Arian. Mohammed, it's great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Your reaction to this uh, takeout of tech that we're seeing this morning. Good morning, Maria. I'm not really surprised. We've come such a long way, five straight months of gain, record levels, the Nasdaq outperforming the S&P by 20 percentage points. 
it's still up 26% despite last week's sell-off. So it doesn't surprise me. I think most people had gotten cautious about valuations. The big question is what next? Is this just a healthy pullback? Or is this the beginning of a convergence between very high market valuations and very languishing fundamentals? What, what do you think? How do you want to allocate capital with this kind of a sizable sell-off within tech? So I think you're going to get value and bargains, but not yet. I think that we have been in this relative mindset, ignoring absolutes. What do I mean by that? Relative to everything else, the NASDAQ and stocks have looked cheap, but everything else has been distorted by the action of central banks. In absolute terms, these are expensive valuations. So I would wait for more attractive valuations, especially now that we know that the options market has had such a huge influence on the cash market. So it sounds like you think we're going to we're in for some selling here if you want to get in at better prices. That's correct. I'm, I'm a little bit worried that certain people are overextended here. And I would rather wait for better entry levels. Dagan, jump in. Mohammed, how much does it do, do these kind of new day traders or uh, these individual traders that have come in through uh, services like Robinhood? How much has that played into the overvaluation in tech? Because I, I mean, this is purely anecdotal, but I've seen people who you used to literally bet regularly on sporting events. And when sports shut down during the coronavirus pandemic, they really moved to speculating in the stock market. And I just wonder how much that has contributed to the kind of wild valuations we've seen on, say, a Tesla or even an Apple. It has. And people have been playing off each other on that. And Tesla is a perfect example of that. Look, long term, it is good that we're getting more people involved in the stock market. It is good that more people have skin in the game when it comes to capitalism, when it comes to market-based systems. So long term, it is good. Short term, I'm worried that a lot of these people have come in at a particularly strange period where you had different things come together and keep on pushing this market higher and higher and higher. And it seems so easy to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all seen this before, yeah. you know, in our career. So I'm a little bit worried that there'll be a washout of certain of these investors. But on the whole, it is a good thing that we are reducing barriers to entry for the millennials in particular. So it, so it looks like it's really technology dragging markets down. The Nasdaq's down 350 points right now, Mohammed. You've got the Dow Industrials down wow. uh, better than 160. But another reason to sell this morning is the lack of stimulus, right? We've got a showdown going on in Washington. The Senate is back at work. They're expected to take up a new bill this week as both sides remain deadlocked over key issues, including unemployment benefits. Goldman Sachs released a note this morning anticipating a bill before the end of September, though the price tag may be lower than the $2 trillion that uh, Nancy Pelosi wants. Uh, We just heard from Nancy Lazar, Cornerstone Macro, does think we're going to get a stimulus package before the election. What do you think? So no one knows for sure. My gut feeling is we will. And my gut feeling is it will be smaller than what the Democrats are asking for. And the key issue is to make sure it focuses on multiple areas. You know, the problem is the latest data has been confusing. So let's look at Friday's jobs report. Undoubtedly, it was better than expected across the board, whether it is the unemployment rate, whether it's labor participation, whether it is employment to population ratios, 
plus we've created 1.4 million jobs. That was better than market expectations yet again. However, the weight of improvement is slowing and the hole we're in because of COVID-19 is big. So if you're on the Republican side, you say, look, the economy is really dynamic and beats expectation. If you're on the Democratic side, you say, oh, no, the weight of improvement is slowing. So the data isn't helping to sort out these different views. So it's going to drag on for a while. But my own expectation, Maria, is that we do get some sort of compromise. Brian Bremberg. Yeah, Mohammed, on that last point you made, I think that's so interesting. I looked at Friday's job numbers and I said, wow, another 1.4 million jobs. I hear this. Damn, they're like, okay, so I'm going to stop it there. So first of all, you know, the clown that they brought on was very interesting uh, to speak. Another thing is, is uh, they're encouraging people and talking about how oh, these little people using Robin Hood and E-Trade, day trade accounts. Oh, they're meddling with the markets, right? That's how I read it. I don't know if you guys read it like that. Like why were they're meddling using acorns and, you know, Robin Hood and it's all their fault. But it's the COVID pandemic that's doing all this. And COVID is popping up here and popping up there. And it's all Trump's fault, apparently, even though, you know, we've decided to call it the China virus because it is a Chinese program. So why not? And so here we are with all of these conversations per economy. Here's another one. Bill Gates snubbing Tesla. Wait. Wait, this is quite interesting and very telling. And you're going to be like, what? Just listen to it. Just this is crazy. Okay. I just want you to listen to the words. So crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we we know that Tesla has taken a number of shots this morning. And now Bill Gates taking a jab, voicing some concerns over some of Tesla's new products. What's that all about? Well, look, Tesla's down at 15 percent at its session lows this morning. So, yeah, we have a a long running Mm. dispute between the two billionaires, which might not be helping things. The latest with Bill Gates casting doubt on Tesla's plan to get into long haul trucking. Gates writing in his blog that the problem is that batteries are big. They are heavy. Even Why are they still equating Microsoft to Bill Gates? He's out of Microsoft. He is no longer Microsoft. But do you see what the media is showing you? Look, Microsoft, Tesla. Okay, number one. Trucking. Gates writing in his blog that the problem is that batteries are big, they are heavy. Even with big breakthroughs in battery technology, electric vehicles will probably never be a practical solution for things like 18-wheelers, cargo ships, and passenger jets. Gates says maybe biofuels are better instead as a possible solution to commercial trucks. Now, Musk wants to ramp up production of the Tesla Semis, a commercial truck with a range of 500 miles, and he already has big companies lining up for these Tesla Semis including Pepsi, FedEx, Walmart, Cisco, and UPS. And we know that the two billionaires don't always see eye to eye. That includes on the coronavirus, with Musk calling the panic overblown. Look at how they're showing all these people that are investing in Tesla, how they're dropping. Just pay attention. Subtle cues here. Gates, though, has warned about the possibility of a world-changing pandemic now for several years. And Musk has also trolled Mm. Bill Gates on Twitter, calling him (laughs) underwhelming and saying that the rumors of a relationship between the two are not true. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, coming at uh, Tesla is a pretty big, <laughs> you got to have some really big um, cojones because even though I don't agree with a lot of things and his Neuralink would kind of be jealous of me, uh, you know, he's, um, he's a really smart man. And he's looking to change the world uh, to become more independent when it comes to uh, being mobilized. And this comes down back to the railways that now you're starting to hear about that we've talked about for a while. And this was important for you to have that knowledge about these transcontinental railways from China to London, from China to Middle East, Africa. You know, these are very important. Um, I will talk about Kosovo and Serbia um, probably on um, on Thursday, uh, only because I, I wanted to get a better feel from on the ground. Uh, so that way you guys can understand how how incredible that economic deal is. Uh, economic deals between nations are the starting point uh, to mend broken ties because uh, if everybody's making money and they're competitive, they're happy. So I just wanted to make note of that because I had a lot of people say, well, tell us about it. Not yet. Um, I just want to see what the people have to say about it. So moving along before we get into like the juice of things, um, I think we should uh, touch base again with uh, Meadows where he's talking about shift. Now, this is kind of random, but he's just demonstrating how shift is having problems with truth telling. And they do have a lot of problems with truth telling. And this all comes down to things that I have said about shift that I've, that I've said that I heard him say that I know they said that I know meetings that they've had. It was very important that we put this out and they, that I keep putting it out again, talking about circular reporting. If it's out there, they have to ask the question. So for all those that have emailed me, DM'd me, tweeted at me, oh my gosh, Durham sat down with John Brennan and he like walked. And it's like John Brennan's not prosecuting him. But he did have him in a hot box for eight hours. They didn't sit there talking about grandkids or his wife's real estate endeavors, right? He was asked questions. And this is how you locate information through the interview. Possibly, oh yeah, I looked into it like this, like that, because they already had things ready because we gave them everything. I told them where to look. I mean, for those of you that can rewatch and rewatch and rewatch Shadowgate, you'll see B-roll that was used and how it was done. Maybe they found that second hard drive because <laughs> it never left federal grounds and never. I'm just saying. So this is it. Now that they're saying, oh, before 731-2016. When exactly seven before July 31st, 2016? I think I already told you. But now it's been confirmed. But you know, I smoke and I know things. So this is how you get them to investigate by putting it out. Uh, this is how things are happening. The wheels of justice are slow, but damn, they come turning, don't they? So let's take a listen to what Meadows had to say. Listen. The balance this morning, the Senate expected to take up a new bill this week as both sides remain deadlocked over key issues like unemployment. President Trump says Democrats do not want to make a deal because it will boost his reelection chances. 
Joining me right now is the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. Mark, it's great to have you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be with you, Maria. Thank you. So, so the Congress comes back this week. What can we expect from the Senate this week? Well, I think the Senate is not only going to hit the ground running, but uh, actually they've been working over over the break uh, when they were back home in their districts working. I know uh, as late as uh, nine o'clock last night, I was on the phone with a couple of senators as well as uh, Senate leadership to make sure that uh, we put forth a bill uh, coming out of the Senate that at least provides a foundation for getting an agreement. I can tell you that there's more that we agree upon than what we disagree upon. And I think it's time that we put politics aside, pass this stimulus, uh, actually allow it to come to the president's desk. He's not only encouraged us, but he's uh, daily uh, checking in to make sure that we're staying engaged to hopefully get relief to the American people. So I was just talking with Cornerstone Macros, Nancy Lazar, and her team, her research team uh, is saying that they don't think we're going to get anything before the election. Well, I think if, if they're talking to Nancy Pelosi uh, and, and a couple of her people right around her, that may be accurate. But I can tell you there is a groundswell of support among rank and file Democrats and Republicans uh, to suggest that there's some kind of compromise. Listen, when we look at, at uh, enhanced unemployment, when we look at what we can do for schools, when we look at what we can do for those small businesses and direct stimulus checks, I think there's broad scale agreement on that. And uh, right now, the thing that's the stumbling block is is aid to uh, uh, state and local uh, governments. Uh, the number that Speaker Pelosi puts forth is just not supported by the facts. So we're going to continue to negotiate on that. But uh, I'm optimistic in the next two weeks that the pressure and the voice of the American people will start to have an impact on members of Congress. So, so, Mark, what is the serious sticking point that, uh, that that keeps a deal from happening? We know that there are certain cities that are in major trouble. Mayor de Blasio says he needs nine billion dollars right now for New York City. Uh, but, you know, you look at the management of some of these cities before covid and that's what the president has talked about. Tell us what the issues are that's stopping a deal. Well, I mean, that $9 billion that you just talked about from Mayor de Blasio is based on a forward looking on what he thinks that he might need for the next uh, budget cycle. When you look at year over year revenues, uh, they, they did take a hit about $2 billion. When, when you start to really look at the revenue decrease and what we're talking about is, is the actual loss of year over year revenue. Uh, it's about 275 billion. Uh, Republicans are willing to address that in a meaningful way to make sure that we provide that assistance. But what we're not going to do is bail out cities that have been poorly run for a long time uh, just so that they can actually uh, have their pet projects on the back of the American taxpayer. And so uh, when it's legitimate needs, I think you'll find that the Republicans, uh, both in the Senate and the House, are willing to address that. Uh, but the number that Nancy Pelosi puts forth is almost $1 trillion. So almost half of the money that she wants to put in, she actually 
wants to earmark it for state and local governments. And that's just not uh, what the American people would support. It's really not where the needs are. And so we're talking about making targeted uh, relief to those pl- people that need it most. And, and what about the $600 that uh, was in place months ago in terms of the unemployment benefit? Is that also a sticking point? When I spoke with the president, he also no- mentioned the post office debate. Yeah, I don't see the postal debate being as much of a problem. I can tell you that we actually, before it became the headline news, we actually had an agreement on the post office. I think that took me uh, by surprise when all of a sudden they're talking about uh, needing more money when we had already agreed to $10 billion for the postal uh, service workers with additional reforms. I think the, the other thing that we look at, Maria, is this. When it's enhanced unemployment, right now there's one person in Washington, D.C. that has acted on behalf of those unemployed Americans, and that's the president of the United States. So whether it's 300 or 400, as he proposed, I think we can get there uh, on that particular issue. Uh, $600, as you know, actually uh, uh, ended up paying the average uh, uh, unemployed worker more than what they would have made uh, uh, for showing up to work. So we're trying to make sure that we measure that. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not so uh, uh, pessimistic that that is a stumbling block. Again, if we can push back and say, let's come together on what we agree upon, it'll provide a foundation for getting there. So you do believe that we will see another stimulus package before the election then, Mark? Well, you're I not do. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, no, I, I do. I'm not sure, obviously, but I do believe that we'll see that only because uh, I, I've had uh, a number of conversations, probably uh, uh, a dozen, uh, sometimes a day uh, with different rank and file members. And when you listen to them, they're listening to their constituents. If we will just listen to the American people and meet those needs like the president of the United States is doing, mm. I think we get there. And I'm more optimistic, uh, perhaps today than I've been in a long time. Well, many of the president's critics want him out of office. We just spoke with Lee Smith. He's out with a new book, The Permanent Coup, The Permanent Coup, whether it was the origins of the Russia probe, the impeachment, or even that article in The Atlantic last week. There's this constant movement to to take down President Trump. We're all waiting on John Durham. The last time I was with you, Mark, you said, look, people should go to jail. We are going to see some indictments. Where are we on this? Do we know anything about John Durham and this criminal investigation and where this goes? Well, Maria, you've covered this for uh, for a lot longer than anybody else and probably are better informed than anybody that I know in terms of this particular issue. And and we are still waiting on John Durham uh, in terms of any visibility in, uh, in the timeline. Uh, I, I don't have that. I can tell you additional documents that I've been able to review uh, say that uh, a number of the players, the Peter Strucks, the Andy McCabe's, the James Comey's, and even others in the administration previously uh, are in real trouble because of their uh, willingness to participate in an unlawful act. And I use the word unlawful at best. uh, It broke all kinds of protocols. And at worst, uh, people should go to jail, as I've mentioned previously. Well, you say you saw documents. Will those documents be declassified? We just saw Peter Strzok on, on 60 Minutes last night, Mark. And he's coming up with all reasons that they should have launched an investigation into Trump. These documents that you refer to, are they going to be declassified soon? 
Well, the president has uh, encouraged not only declassification, but full transparency. He has nothing to hide. I can tell you it's real easy for Peter okay. Strzok to go on 60 Minutes. So we're going to watch a little bit of that 60 Minutes, too. So um, let's just go for a short break while we refill our coffee at the top of the hour here. And I'll see you guys in just a bit. I don't want to set the world on fire. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. All right, let's start first. First, let's just um, get, I think we should get the Peter Strzok interview out of the way, only because... uh, You'll see that a lot of the stuff he says contradicts the written testimony and what he said before, which is bizarre, completely bizarre. And you're just like, okay, stop one second. Documents say something else. Your testimony says something else. So you're clearly lying, right? And I told you (laughs) that he was never just FBI. FBI was his cover. His U.S. Army career was a cover, completely manufactured. That's how they get retirement, okay? I've stated this many times. Um, he was part of HVIG. And that's what's going to burn Brennan because I told you, ask me, how do I know by about the high-value intelligence group that was completely off the books that accidentally the DNI under Barack Hussein Obama slipped talking about it and they had to scramble and create a charter eight months later after they fired that DNI for leaking that accidentally to the press. This is how dodgy they are. You want to talk crimes? We could talk crimes. This is 2010, 2009. We could talk crimes. How do you create an intelligence group that only the president has access to, nobody else, that pools private contractors CIA, FBI, NRO, the whole nine yards in a room with no supervision, no auditing, no nothing. Ask yourself that. How is that allowed to occur? That's what you need to ask yourself. ...was fired over text messages critical of President Trump. Now he's writing about his controversial role in the Russia investigation and answering questions from national security correspondent David Martin. Nobody had any joy in doing this. Nobody was seeking to try and open that case. Peter Strzok is the FBI agent who started it all, opening the investigation into Donald Trump's campaign three months before the 2016 presidential election. You're the guy that writes the official document that opens the investigation? I do, sitting right inside in the house. Inspired by Mick Jagger, of all people, he codenamed the investigation Crossfire Hurricane. Jumpin' Jack Flash was running through my mind. And one of the lyrics, Mick Jagger kind of swaggering and saying, I was born in a crossfire hurricane. It's a pretty good name. Attorney General William Barr has said Crossfire Hurricane... Such a lie. It's based on Hurricane Electric. ...was based on a very thin, slender reed. In his new book, Compromise, Strzok describes exactly what that reed was. 
George Papadopoulos at the time was a very young foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. In May 2016, just as Trump was emerging as the unlikely Republican frontrunner. Thank you, everybody. Papadopoulos was in London having drinks with some Australian diplomats. Papadopoulos told him that somebody on the Trump campaign had received an offer that said the Russians had material that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton and to Obama. And they offered to coordinate the release of that information in a way that would help the Trump campaign. The Australians didn't make much of it until Trump made this appeal about Hillary Clinton's emails. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Those Australian diplomats heard that and contacted the FBI. When they saw that statement by Trump, that that triggered the memory of the conversation they had with Papadopoulos. So Donald Trump, with his own words, brought this investigation down on himself? According to what the foreign government told us, yes. So let me riddle me this. As I've said, this is all a show. So how do you lure someone out of the darkness? How do you lure someone to show their true face? How do you lure someone so they can pull their own pants down? It's just a right. There we go. That's right. So everything, <laughs> everything has been very well orchestrated. You see, when you know the future, you know exactly what you need to lure. So, for example, many of you may not see it now, but with Shadowgate being banned globally, right, and being on the fringes of the Internet and everyone saying they debunked it when they can't debunk anything in it, out came a response. You saw people leaving the White House. You saw generals being bolder. You saw everything that's coming. Roll, roll, roll. Wait till you see what comes after just the trailer. And then you see the people that you think are pro-Trump coming out with teeth. Suddenly you see the actors may indeed not just be actors, Suddenly you see all these changes and this turmoil and these vicious attacks. And then you see that they pull their own pants down because they are drawn out. You see, this is how a good strategy is executed. Give me the theory of the case when you opened this investigation. Russia had offered to assist electing someone to be president of the United States. From an intelligence perspective, I can't think of anything more significant. Strzok identified four suspects in the Trump campaign. Papadopoulos, Carter Page, Paul Manafort, and Michael Flynn, based on their contacts with Russian officials. That's Flynn, a retired lieutenant general who had become President Trump's first national security advisor, seated next to Vladimir Putin at a 2015 dinner in Moscow. But the FBI turned up nothing incriminating on him. So were you ready to close your investigation of uh, Flynn? We were. That obviously didn't happen. What, what changed? Uh, he had a bunch of phone calls and uh, contact with the Russian ambassador to the United States. Before the Trump administration had assumed power, Flynn called Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. What's wrong with that? I think what makes a problem is when you look at the content 
and nature of the things that Flynn tells the ambassador. Wait. General Flynn had quasi-official status because he was going to be within the administration, seated right there in the cabinet. So what he's saying is bullshit to people that don't understand. Now, let's pretend that whatever he said triggered them. Then explain why Teft unmasked him almost a month before the phone call with Kislyak. See, in the art of war, rouse him and learn the principle of his activity or inactivity. Force him to reveal himself so as to find out his vulnerable spots. So this is how you win a war, by subduing the enemy without fighting. Let them come to you. Let them attack you. And in the process, they lose. Kind of like when I had the attorney general all on me. What did I do? I was gaslighting the crap out of him on other things, sending emails with a tone that was like, oh, I'm going to squash her. Oh, I'm gonna... He was so upset. And when I would file and file, in one day in a lawsuit against me, he filed like a thousand documents. None of it checked, none of it anything, completely from his paid source that manufactured the majority of it. See, this is how you win. This is how you win. Because if you know yourself, you win every single battle there is. Okay? Every single one. There's nothing, nothing that you can't win when you know yourself. So... This is how you easily win. And many of you will say, well, this isn't easy. This was with a risk. But the thing is, it had to be done on a public stage or else no one would believe it if it was done behind the curtain. Let them show themselves. You have to show the people because they are so mesmerized and brainwashed that they can't even see the truth when it hits them in the face. Can't even see it at all. Flynn asked Kislyak not to retaliate for Obama administration's sanctions against Russia. The conversation in which Flynn potentially interfered with Obama's foreign policy was recorded by U.S. intelligence. So instead of closing the case, Strzok sat down to question Flynn. The strangest thing happened. It was very clear that he wasn't telling the truth, and we repeatedly tried to get him to that by using and offering phrases, the exact things he had said with the ambassador in the conversations. As a former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Flynn knew his conversations with the Russian ambassador would be monitored. So it's the damnedest thing. He knew you knew, but he's still denying it. I can't explain it. It sounds like the old Washington story. The cover-up is worse than the deed itself. Or... Uh, hey, Peter, he knew that you were listening to him. I mean, what's the point? Yeah, I don't understand it. Yeah, you understand it now. You got suckered into this. All of you. We were smarter and you got suckered and pulled into this. So all of you can come out at once and we could see your tidy whities That's what happened. That's what happened. And to this day, I don't think we yet know the true story of what was behind General Flynn's statements to us. Flynn pled guilty to lying, but now the Justice Department has moved to dismiss the charges. Because, Attorney General Barr told CBS News, the FBI kept the case open just so Strzok could try to catch Flynn in a lie. And they kept it open for the express purpose of trying to catch, uh, lay, lay a perjury trap for General Flynn. 
Flynn's case pales next to that of another struck suspect, Paul Manafort, who served as Trump's campaign chairman. According to a new report by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Manafort was a grave counterintelligence threat who sought to secretly share with a Russian intelligence officer sensitive campaign polling data. If it's their polls, isn't it theirs to give to whoever they want to give? If you're giving that to somebody who is passing it to a foreign adversary, who is targeting our elections, how is that possibly okay? Is it a crime? Whether or not it's a crime, to me, it's unequivocally unpatriotic. By the time Manafort was convicted of tax evasion and bank fraud, Strzok was no longer on the case. He had been fired by special counsel Robert Mueller for sending anti-Trump text messages to FBI lawyer Lisa Page, with whom he was having an affair. July 21st, 2016, summer before the election. Trump is a disaster. And then one week later, you open that crossfire hurricane investigation. I mean, it just looks like you saw a way to stop Donald Trump from becoming president of the United States. I can understand why some people might think that, but they had nothing to do with each other. One week after Strzok opened the investigation, Lisa Page texted him, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? Strzok replied, no, no, he's not. We'll stop it. So why shouldn't Trump supporters suspect you of using Trump supporters, you mean Americans that believe in the rule of law, that believe that just because someone doesn't like you, they're not allowed to open up investigations on you. It's like you walking down the street and a cop just doesn't like your face and he's like, empty your pockets. And you're like, fuck, you You can't do that. You can't do that. Well, they do it. They do it. And every American, not just a Trump supporter, sir, uh, should be concerned about that. Using the investigation as a tool to take him down. And what I'd point them to are all the investigations that have been done that have conclusively proved that didn't occur. The Justice Department Inspector General found no evidence that political bias influenced the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. But it did find serious performance failures in the investigation of another struck suspect, campaign advisor Carter Page, who was never charged with any crime. Is it sloppy work or is it uh, FBI agents trying too hard to get something on members of the Trump campaign? I don't think at all uh, that it's anything improper. You get people who are overworked, who make mistakes, and don't get me wrong, inexcusable mistakes. Attorney General Barr disagrees. Uh, The evidence uh, shows that we're not dealing with just uh, mistakes or sloppiness. There's something far more troubling here, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. One FBI lawyer, Kevin Kleinsmith, has already pled guilty to falsifying a document. And U.S. Attorney John Durham is conducting a full investigation into the conduct of Crossfire Hurricane, which will include a re-examination of Strzok's every move. Did you write that? I did write that, sir. Okay. Were you under duress? Political expression engaging in hyperbole. He remains branded, you might say compromised, by his text messages. The president has accused Strzok of treason, lambasted him on Twitter, and even ended his famous Helsinki press conference with Vladimir Putin like this. And if anybody watched Peter Strzok testify, it was a disgrace to the FBI. It was a disgrace to our country. How does it feel to be in Donald Trump's crosshairs? 
It's horrible. It angers you. It scares you. That hasn't stopped him from putting one of the president's tweets, Peter Strzok is a fraud, on the cover of his book. You know it's going to put you back in the crosshairs. I do. It's going to be worth it? Yes. David, this is a threat that we have not faced in our modern history. Yeah, a threat that is destroying everything you guys built over two centuries. What Russia is doing, what they did in 2016 to attack our election, to help Trump, what they are doing now to do the very same thing is something every American ought to be thinking about and considering. Well, you know, the CIA should have thought about it when they created the Russian Jihad. And so all of these people are now so upset because it, President Trump has taken the, the wrench of truth and put it right in the middle of these military industrial complex wars. We had everyone under control. Russia came in and just messed stuff up. We should have just taken them out. But we can't take out half a continent of Asia like that. We should have just done it. Why did we focus on the energy? We should have went there. We were greedy. This is where they're kicking themselves in the butt. Because remember, they used the Pakistanis and militarized and created them to be fanatics and radicalized the Al-Qaeda political group. They created it. And so the Soviets and the Russians will never forget the slaughters that happened because of that. I don't think any of any nation will forget slaughters in modern times that have happened. And even though their communist nation collapsed, which is fine, even though they rebuilt their nation and were out of debt, right, in the surplus, and paid the debt of all the nations that they, you know, I want to say steal, but no. Everyone deserves independence and they can draw borders, right? So Ukraine, Lithuania, Belarus, all of those, right, that came out. Russia also paid their debt. So Russia is in surplus after paying everybody and their mother's debt, right? And they're sitting pretty. And the problem is there's no reason that they come and attack them. Of course, they're going to be doing counterintelligence just like every other nation. So stop. And the fact that you're excluding them makes them get even smarter and more, more effective. And that's why they brought China into the Arctic Council. They said, well, you're not bringing them. I'll bring them in. And it's like, but why are you bringing China into it? Why not? They're your enemy. And so Russia has tactfully, remember, uh-huh, Putin was KGB, okay? He knows all the tricks of the trade. So he had them, he positioned his nation in the right place to be like, one day they will rue the day or else all of us are going to die. So who cares? And there's not going to be a Russia. There's not going to be a Ukraine. There's not going to be a Spain. There's not going to be a France. It's going to be one world order. So, I mean, I got to at least try. And then President Trump comes along and he's like, nah, man, this is all messed up. You guys have been playing everybody like a fiddle in my nation. He's only talking about America. I don't care what they do over there. I care what happens here. And since you've moved everything over there, now I got to look over there to how you're doing it over there and bringing it here. And cue music, Russia steps in and they're like, um, so here's what we got. Thanks. Wait a minute. 
that matches this, that matches this, that match. I think I need to meet with Saudi Arabia. Hey, how are you doing? You guys are like the second, you know, richest in regards to owning land. We need to be friends. Yo, MBS, what's up? This is why they lost their mind at the Argentina G20 when Putin was high-fiving Saudi Arabia. And they're like, dude, we're each going to get our nations back. Sovereignty is on the table. Holy crap. What are we doing? And this is how... People are starting to wake up nationwide. We don't want, we don't want endless wars. We don't want to be vanilla. We want to be an independent nation. And so do other nations. Why not? Why can't all nations just be independent? Why can't they all be independent? I, I don't seem to understand why everyone is so adamant of this, uh, you know, let's all be, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, on there and that's about it. Why? Why do we all have to be the same? We don't. But here's how you know that that is exactly what is bothering them. So first off, we should talk about the president targeting the critical race theory. Greg did a piece. I would like you to take a listen to this piece and tell me what you think. Listen to how he's dismantling it on all ends. Then we'll talk military. The Trump White House just killed critical race theory training in federal agencies. It's the stuff that claims all white people are racist in this inherently racist country. So once again, the big orange meanie does something no one had the guts to do before. Eradicate a punitive ideology that ruins businesses and lives. And it's one that you pay for. A disease born from the hateful halls of left-wing academia, critical race theory undermines the positive core beliefs of America by redefining the nation as an engine of oppression. This leads to discord in schools, families, and now even work. The top attribute of a great employee, positive attitude. CRT replaces that with grievance and envy. And what you're seeing on America's city streets are its results, starting on campus, then leaking into unconscious bias training at work, culminating in infantile rioters who use this ideology to justify violence. You wonder why these clones accost people at restaurants? They've been brainwashed to think you're unconsciously racist, and they're there to wake you up. Unconsciously racist means even when you say you aren't racist, the response is, no, you just aren't conscious of it. That's a cult. But those who demand such indoctrination operate on their own unconscious racism. They assume all white people are one way, possessing white privilege. That's conscious racism. And Trump's right to expel this toxin from the workplace. Let's hope this bravery spreads. The survival of our country depends on it. All right, we'll go fast around the horn here. Dana, good move on Trump's part? Uh, possibly, uh, although I do think he's gonna, there's going to be the pushback, of course. But I think that there is not enough people that understand what CRT is. And also, the, it comes along this year as we've been dealing with the 1619 Project. That's from the New York Times, uh, basically mm -hmm. trying to redefine the birth of America. I would also say this, though. If there's not going to be CRT, which I don't necessarily think there should be CRT, should there be better historical education in our K through 12 schools and even in college? Because I think over and over again, we are trying as people here on the five to explain to our viewers who are already probably pretty well informed about our nation's history. And that, that kind of knowledge has to be 
re-examined. The, the civics education in our country, the historic, historic history education in our country absolutely has to be something that we deal with. Now, that's not something the president can deal with. Uh, schools are run by local school districts, and they should be. But I think that without understanding and learning our history, we are going to be in a pretty tough situation like we are this summer. You know, Emily, uh, I think that CRT is probably one of the worst things that has ever been invented in my life and that it, it creates an attitude that replaces optimism and, and desire for opportunity with grievance and envy. Why would anybody want to hire somebody like that? And trying to apply it to the federal government is such a farce, Greg. It's like mm -hmm. it's trying to apply someone's individual paradigm to something that is not a like beast. Take it from me. I was a federal managing attorney for years, and I know what resource utilization looks like. It would be a colossal waste of time and a waste of taxpayer dollars. And by the way, in a huge study conducted of our mammoth federal government, the 80 and 90 plus percentage of employees, what they really want training in, what they really think would benefit us as citizens are things like technology innovation and reducing security and privacy requirements and things that would actually <laughs> make a difference in how our government runs and how we seize those benefits. We see those benefits, not this sort of fantasy land stuff. You know, Jesse, even liberals like this because they saw CRT undermining the soft and hard sciences in academia. They started to infect everything with this ideology of race. Greg, I'd like to say something on behalf of white people right now. Dana, hold my hand. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> God, no, 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 now no, I'm no. I'm scared. That was a test. It was a joke. I was just seeing if Dana was paying attention. <laughs> I didn't have anything to say. But good, Dana, you stopped me. I felt the squeeze. Good job. Listen, Greg, um, I feel enough guilt just being Jesse Waters. I, I don't I like need additional people. guilt by my race. A lot of this has to do with money and power. The people that run these little seminars, they're mostly radical social justice warrior lawyers. You pay them to do the survey and then it inculcates you from lawsuits later. It's also a good way, if you want to, to get people fired or promoted. Boom. So what Jesse Waters said was important. See, all of these EEO things have to be done. All of these uh, critical race theory uh, training modules, you know, being hired in a new job. I remember one of um, my internships that I did was a very leftist organization. And I can tell you that's going to be coming to the surface. It was a private company, not owned, not traded. And I remember having to go through systemic racism classes um, for the first day. It was just a bunch of slides that I had to go through. And the reason they do this is so they don't get sued. And the question is, who made that law that they could get sued if they don't train you in that? Ah, ding, ding, ding. That's why the presidency, the, the president said, you'll see what's going to come out of this because we need to figure out where did they slip this in where someone can sue you if you haven't trained train people in critical race theory on a private and federal level. And just so we know, the mammoth of the federal government, 85 percent are private contractors. So stop with things that have nothing to do with work product. My problem Amazing. with the 1619 right on that. project. My problem with the mm -hmm. 1619 project is its narrow focus. Uh, you know, I'm over 10% Native mm -hmm. American. That means that 10% of my descendants were here thousands of years before 1619. Latinos are the biggest minority group in this country. Native Americans have to be recognized as well. Uh, you know, uh, we have this 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 laser focus, this narrow focus on a minority that has been oppressed and, and justly needs recognition for that oppression and discrimination. So
I want to say something about Geraldo, but I'm going to hold it. Wig, uh, something's wrong with his mouth. Super odd. Oh, do other groups as well. And the best way to do that is with everybody integrating together, not separating. That's I don't know. That was just really weird, his statement. So now that we're done with the critical race theory, which, like I said, we're going to find out who made that law. Right. That's the important part here. Who made the law that said that um, you can be sued? The 1619 rewriting history thing is pretty insane. Uh, and that is uh, something that was unexpected. Um, so early, uh, you would think that you'd wait for them to do something. Now, before, uh, let's see where we should start. I think we should start with um, a report from, let's see, is it from from June? So, well, I, I told you this last year, um, but here's a report of what a Trump insider said about President Trump. Oh, shoot. Are you kidding? This is not happening, is it? Totally is. Okay. All right, guys. Um, hope you can hear me. That was really insane. Everything just hung on me. Uh, there was a bit of an attack. I had to change my 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 stats. Uh, all right. So <laughs> that was super weird. So here is um, MSNBC in June telling you that what a military insider told him. Take a listen. Okay. This is way. It's a real idea ripped straight from thriller novels. Joe Biden going on the record, predicting, predicting Donald Trump will try to steal the 2020 election. Watch. It's my greatest concern. My single greatest concern. This president's going to try to steal this election. This is a guy who said that all mail-in ballots are fraudulent. Direct voting by mail. While he sits behind the desk in the Oval Office and writes his mail-in ballot to vote in the primary. So in a moment, I'm going to talk to a friend of the beat and Art of the Deal co-author Tony Schwartz. But first, Biden's remarks come amid outrage over absurdly long voting lines in Georgia. And critics point to the Trump administration's sustained attack on democratic norms in this country from claiming there were up to five million illegal votes in 2016. That was not true. That was false. To asking for dirt on Joe Biden from the Ukrainian government to Trump's son-in-law at one point declining to rule out delaying the 2020 election if they needed to. Now, the other issue, if Trump loses, would he try to cling on to power any way possible? Here's Biden. This is a strange question to ask an American politician. Have you ever considered what would happen if the election result came out as you being the winner and Trump refused to leave? Yes, I have. And you have so many rank and file military personnel saying, whoa, we're not a military state. This is not who we are. I promise you, I'm absolutely convinced they will escort him from the White House in a, in a, with great dispatch. Joining me now for our State of the Mind franchise, Tony Schwartz, co-author of Art of the Deal and CEO of the Energy Project. He's just published an article for Medium about the dangers of Trump during a time of crisis. Uh, Mr. Schwartz, it's great to have you with us. I have to say, I mean, just hearing that as somebody who has covered so many countries, authoritarian countries overseas, where the issue of peaceful transfer of power is distinctly and uniquely American, 
Do you think Biden's warning about Trump trying to steal the election and the fact that he may not even leave office if he does lose are justified? A hundred percent. He's a, you know, he is, as I've written in, in on Medium, he is a psychopath, meaning he is li- missing the two ingredients that are critical and common for human beings. Number one, conscience. And number two, empathy. So he lacks both of these qualities, and therefore anything goes for Trump. And think about this. The minute he leaves office, his life, for all practical purposes, from his perspective, is over. Because at a minimum, he loses the vast percentage of his power and his ability to dominate. And believe me, he's gotten used to that. And giving it up is unthinkable. I I wanted to go back to that moment a little bit, because I don't think a lot of us just understand what that moment would mean for this country if there isn't a peaceful transfer uh, of power. And as Joe Biden, I think the alarming thing in that interview is he answered that question seriously. That was a serious question from Trevor Noah. And Joe Biden answered it seriously that it would be the military who would perhaps have to act and dispatch him from that office. Well, I think that's what it will come down to. And then the question is, on whose side does the military stand? Does it stand on the side of democracy or does it stand on the side of the commander in chief, even if uh, those circumstances suggest he should no longer be the commander of the chief? And I'm not in any way confident in what that outcome will be. But uh, I have no doubt that Trump is going to do everything he possibly can, including the recruitment of Vladimir Putin, which he hardly needs to do. Putin wants to end democracy in the United States. He will do everything he can, exactly as Biden says, to try to steal this election. Let me play for you uh, President Trump's recording, talking to governors about the unrest in this country, where he says to them they have to dominate uh, protests and, in fact, put them in jail for up to 10 years. Take a listen to this. You have to dominate. If you don't dominate, you're wasting your time. They're going to run over you. You're going to look like a bunch of jerks. You have to dominate. And most of you only, and we're going to slash that very, very strong. But you're going to arrest people. You have to track people. You have to put them in jail for 10 years, and you'll never see this stuff again. What do you think that reveals about how the president views a protest in this country and uh, people's basic liberties? What do you Look at that smirk on his face. Does this clown believe that burning down cities is a protest? Does he believe that terrorizing people, cyber terrorism, physical terrorism is a protest? Does he believe toppling down our monuments is a protest? Does he believe rewriting history is a protest? This journalist needs to be famous. Famous. Famous for pushing propaganda. Famous for trying and, well, not trying, for contributing to the usurpation of our nation. This face, these two faces that you see, these clowns, are the enemy of the people. Now, in 2016, when I had first tweeted out, the media, the MSM, are domestic terrorists, I meant it. I meant it. And I'm glad that everyone started to catch on. MSM, domestic terrorists. MSM, terrorists. Why? They were using tools that we used to fight terrorists against us, to terrorize us. Listen to them carefully. See, people don't listen to people. They tell you exactly who they are if you're listening. What do you think that reveals about his mindset? 
I was fascinated that he used the word dominance or dominate four or five different times that day, because that morning was the morning that I published my Medium article. And the core point I was making is that we misunderstood Donald Trump as someone who was motivated by his narcissism, meaning by his desire to be loved, when in fact, true as that is, what deeply, deeply motivates Donald Trump is the need and and desire to dominate. He sees the world entirely in terms of win-lose, right-wrong, and pardon this, black-white. And the idea that he would not dominate is precisely what he is trying desperately now to avoid. Now, I will also say this, and he's going to lose. I, I believe that now. Now, of course, who knows? Anything could happen. But I think the worm has turned. I think the cat is out of the bag. And I think that the middle part of the electorate that is uh, deciding which candidate they're going to vote for is moving inexorably in the direction of Biden. And I believe that will be the case for the Senate as well. I believe you'll have a Democratic president and two Democratic uh, parts of Congress. Yeah, this election is going to test American democracy, I think. Remember, that was from June. Okay, that was from June telling you Biden telling you the military is going to remove Trump. You just watch military is going to remove Trump. And then after Millie Weaver had so nicely with her producer Gap put together Shadowgate, what did you see? All these generals, all these people jumping ship and confirming who? Oh, Joe Biden. But that's only one side of the same coin. So here is uh, what um, the Young Turks had to say about removing President Trump from office. Take a listen. If Donald Trump loses his reelection bid and refuses to do a peaceful transfer of power to Joe Biden, what will the military do? That's a big question that's been coming up a lot lately, especially after Trump gave wishy-washy answers about whether or not he would accept defeat if that was the outcome of the general election. Now there are two veterans uh, who have addressed this issue in an open letter to uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley. And I want to read you some excerpts from it because it, it does give you a sense of, of how real this fear is. And uh, these veterans certainly do want to make sure that there's a plan in place uh, to ensure that Donald Trump stepped down. So John Nagel, John Nagel and retired Army officer uh, Paul Yingling. A retired US Army Lieutenant uh, Colonel penned an open letter to Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley warning him that President Donald Trump might refuse to leave office in November and that the US military must be prepared to remove him. Now, I just wanted to say the UCMJ 88 covers military personnel that speak against their commanding officer. This also applies to retired commissioned officers. Where the heck is Jesper? Why is he not hanging these people by their toes for saying such things about our president? Where are they? Where are they? Why are we not applying these laws? How is this okay? So part of the letter reads, the once 
unthinkable scenario of authoritarian rule in the United States is now a very real possibility. The President of the United States is actively subverting our electoral system, threatening to remain in office in defiance of our Constitution. In a few months time, you may have to choose between defying a lawless president or betraying your constitutional Oath. They continue to write that if Donald Trump refuses to leave office at the expiration of his constitutional term, the United States military must remove him by force and you must give that order. So they then go into some specific examples that they believe foreshadow Trump refusing to leave office. We'll get to those details in just a minute. But John, I'm curious to hear what you think of this letter and what you think will likely happen if Trump refuses to step down. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should say that I, at least at this point, still think that it wouldn't happen. Um, and I know that that's probably, you know, still naive even after the experience of 2020. But, but I, but I think that we will have an election that will be, you know, affected by voter suppression in a million different forms. That's going to be hampered by the, you know, devastating war against the post office that has continued up until today. In all of those ways, but I think that I think that once we have the election, we will find out who won, and that person will become the president. If it doesn't, I think that it's likely to come in the form of Donald Trump trying to stop mail-in ballots from being counted. And the fear there isn't that Donald Trump can just say, you know, it doesn't count. It's that he'll have the single largest media company behind him. Not one Republican senator will be against him. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court could pull a 2000 and say, you know what? No, we're just going with the ballots that were in on election day. We're not going to wait and we're going to count or anything like that. I still don't think that any of those is likely to happen. But if it were to go the route of the Supreme Court stepping in, where effectively it's them that stops Trump from losing rather than Trump just denying that he lost, that I'm more worried about because we've already been through the experience of 2000 where the Supreme Court decided and it stood. That could happen again. But I don't think that Donald Trump just clearly loses in a landslide and then decides he's not leaving the White House. I don't think that that's likely to work, but I'm curious what you think. Well, I mean, look, I wanna provide some additional evidence to our audience so they can decide for themselves. And I think that this video montage certainly depicts something that we should be at least aware of and should plan for. Let's take a look. Do you make the same commitment that you will absolutely, sir? that you will absolutely accept the result of this election. I will look at it at the time. I'm not looking at anything now, I'll look at it at the time. I would like to promise and pledge to all of my voters and supporters and to all of the people of the United States that I will totally accept the results of this great and historic presidential election. If I win, I don't lose too often. I don't like to lose. But are you gracious? You don't know until you see. It depends. I think mail-in voting is is going to rig the election. I really do. Uh, are you suggesting that you might not accept the results of the election? I, I have to see. Can you give? A, can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election. I have to see. Look, you. I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. You told Fox News recently that you couldn't say whether you'd accept the results of the 2020 election. Hillary Clinton never accepted. She conceded on. She conceded on. Doesn't accept them.
So you see, John, like, I mean, as early as 2016, when he feels like he's in trouble, he'll plant the seed of, ooh, maybe this election is rigged. Oh, maybe there's voter fraud. And and then he'll tease about how he might not accept the results of the election. And that that is terrifying on its own. But then you have to, as you perfectly mentioned earlier, consider what he's actively doing to the Postal Service at a time when a lot of Americans are going to want to vote by mail because going to vote in person in the middle of a pandemic could put their health and their lives at risk. And so that was also touched on in the letter, the open letter that was written. And uh, this is what they said. Trump is engaged in a systemic disinformation campaign to undermine public confidence in our elections. He has falsely claimed that mail-in voting is inaccurate and fraudulent. He's actively sabotaging the U.S. Postal Service in an effort to delay and discredit mail-in votes. He has suggested delaying the 2020 election despite lacking the authority to do so. Now, with that very last uh, thing, you know, the, you know, basically saying that he would delay the election. Luckily, that was the one thing that even Republicans spoke out against. Uh, but everything else, I mean, the, the, what's happening to the post office? I, I mean, I barely hear any talk about it, other yeah. than a few news reports. And that's something that we really need to fight back against. The, uh, because if we don't, then we really do have a rigged election. It's going to prevent people from being able to cast their ballots. So here's a challenge to all these idiots promoting uh, mail-in ballots. I want them to take an envelope and stuff it with $10,000 and mail it to their friend or themselves. How many of them will actually stuff it with cash and send it to themselves because they trust the post office? Let's be honest. Would you do it? No, you wouldn't. You know... uh, Back in 2018, this is this is really funny. I was getting a lot of weird, uh, weird, weird for a small place, right? I was getting a lot of communications from the Department of Justice, Central Intelligence Agency. And the thing is, they would put things like Central Intelligence Agency as their return address. It's like, could you be more incognito, please? Anyway, what I noticed was that someone was tampering with my mail. So when I would get, you know, something from the White House, something from an agency, it would always look weird. So I filed a report with the postmaster general of the state. And I said, hey, there's some stuff happening here. I am missing something from a letter and I'd like you to take a look at it. And lo and behold, in 2019, they caught someone at the local post office, not only tampering with mail and copying letters, but stealing gift cards and money from the envelopes. I mean, you can search that. That's a real thing. It happened in Minot, North Dakota. See, so when you have post office workers that are checking out your mail, right? And they're checking out your letters and stealing your gift cards. I mean, kind of sounds pretty weird, doesn't it, right there? So... Uh, all these people promoting mail-in ballots don't trust the U.S. Post Office to send themselves anything, yet they're going to trust their vote. The only thing on paper that says you're free. Hmm. If that's real interesting. And uh, that's obviously not something I agree with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that he says that and um, he can say that. I would say that obviously the, the best defense against that is an election that's not close, as everyone says. Um 
yeah, I, I just I, I hope that it's obvious and I hope that it's obvious on the day of the election. I hope it's obvious very early on the day of the election um, to, to you know provide as little cover as possible for Fox News to declare that we're, we're not actually going to call like everyone else is. We still don't know. We got to find out um, and not have you know Republican uh, senators on day one talking about how it might not. Wait a minute. Are you saying they're saying, well, we've been saying that they're going to declare it and they think Fox News is going to jump in and say, no, nope, we're not calling it. Is that it? Oh, right. Oh, look at that. They're going to call the election, even though the election ballots haven't been counted. You know, the ones that are sitting in Avis rental cars, 80 million ballots being mailed out, the cat ballots, the dog ballots, the dead ballots, you know, all those. But they're 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 going to call it and they're going to say, oh, you're not calling it. Mm hmm. It might not be valid. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be a fraught period election day and likely the days after it. And even if Biden does win, man, buckle up for the time between then and inauguration, because Donald Trump mm. can do a lot of damage, even if he agrees to give up the presidency. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then one final part of this letter that I want to share with you all, because this was the part that I think concerned me the most because we've seen a little taste of it. They write that Trump is assembling a private army capable of thwarting not only the will of the electorate, but also the capacities of ordinary law enforcement. When these forces collide on January 20th, 2021, the US military will be the only institution capable of upholding our constitutional order. So what they're referring to there is how Trump has used federal agents against civilians. We certainly saw that happening in Portland. And it is terrifying when you consider that these people certainly did play ball. They took the orders from Trump and they were absolutely vicious against uh, many peaceful and, protesters. Uh, there were it, instances it of people who were uh, essentially dragged into unmarked cars by federal agents who hadn't uh, identified themselves. It was terrifying. And, and I don't put it past Donald Trump to use anything and everything in his, you know, toolbox to try to stay in power. Uh, that's why I was so shocked when Jenk really thought that, that Trump would step down. He's not gonna step down. Uh, he's obsessed with power, he's obsessed with winning. And uh, I think he would do anything to stay in power. And he's currently working on it with what he's doing uh, to the post office it's, and the narrative that he's putting out there about mail-in ballots. Can you see this now? Can you see how they're just being forced into the light? Did you see how we draw them out of the darkness? It's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. Like a moth to a flame. They're being pulled out. You know, it's it's many times that I've said this, that... We got to have faith in humanity, right? We always do. And you have to have so much faith in your gut to understand what, how, when, and where. We're drawing them all into the light. Let them bask. Let them shine. That is the only way. And, you know, bait is great. Bait is super great. Super duper great. Because that's how you pull their pants down by drawing them into the light and letting everyone see. That is how you win by letting them show the world who they are. Listen to this report about General Milley. It'll be the greatest rigged election in history. It'll be the greatest fraud ever perpetrated other than perhaps what they did to my campaign, where they spied on my campaign. The Democrats have abandoned the American people over the 
simple subject of politics. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are holding the American people hostage over money for their radical left-wing agenda that the country doesn't want and won't accept. For example, they've asked for a ridiculous $3.5 billion, that's billion, $3.5 billion for universal mail-in voting, a system riddled by fraud and corruption. You just look at what happened with the Carolyn Maloney race. They should do that race over, by the way. I think her opponent is right when he is having fits about that race. When you look at the ballot, the ballots that are missing and the ballot frauds, nobody knows what's going on with that race. And yet they declared her So her opponent, I don't know what's happened over the last 24 hours, but her opponent is rightfully going a little bit crazy. And then you look at uh, what happened in Virginia, where they have 500,000 applications sent out at random to people that have no idea what happened. And they admitted they made a mistake. And many were sent to dead people, many were sent to number were sent, I guess two, that at least two, three, four, were sent to dogs, one was sent to a cat. Uh, they're sent all over the place. That was in Virginia and Patterson, New Jersey. They had a massive amount of voter fraud, and it's been a disaster. Patterson, New Jersey, has been a total disaster. That's universal mail-in voting. So they want $3.5 billion for universal mail-in voting for the country, where you have hundreds of millions of voters. They can't do a little race with 20,000 people. Now they want to take it countrywide mail-in voting. It's going to be the greatest fraud in the history of elections. When you always talk about Russia, 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 China, Iran on voting, your biggest problem is going to be with the Democrats, not with China, Russia, and Iran. Your biggest problem is going to be with the Democrats. But now the Democrats, they want $3.5 billion. Think of it. But now that they're unwilling to approve a bill that gives all of that money, of course, we would never approve an amount like that. And they also want $25 billion additional for the post office, Steve. $25 billion for the post office, so the post office can handle this vast amount of ballots that are being sent at random all over the place. They have no idea where they're going. So they want $25 billion and they want, think of this, they want $3.5 billion. Would you say that's enough to cover it? I think we could do it for less. Right? I think we could do it for less. But they want $25 billion for the post office because of this. And remember, the new man who is a great person, a great businessman, just got there a little while ago. The post office has been run poorly for many, many decades. Great people in the post office, incredible people, but they've had very bad leadership for many years, so we'll get it straightened out. But they turned down this bill because they want radical left agenda items that nobody in their right mind would approve. So they want $25 billion for the post office. They want $2.5, $3.5 billion for universal mailing, $3.5 billion. And the bill's not going to happen because they don't even want to talk about it. 
because we can't give them the kind of ridiculous things that they want that have nothing to do with the China virus. It has nothing at all to do with China virus, much of what they're asking for. So therefore, they don't have the money to do the universal mail-in voting. So therefore, they can't do it, I guess, right? Are they going to do it even though they don't have the money? They're asking for the $3.5 billion. They're asking for $25 billion for the post office so they can do this, I guess, and other things at 25. I would hope it would be a lot of other things, too. But therefore, they don't have it. They don't have the money to do the universal mail-in votes. It'll be the greatest rigged election in history. It'll be the greatest fraud ever perpetrated, other than perhaps what they did to my campaign, where they spied on my campaign, President Obama, Biden, and everybody else. And they got caught. Let's see what happens. This will be one of the greatest frauds in history. So they're admitting that they want 3.5 billion, and they're not going to do a deal that's good for the American people. Therefore, they're not going to get the 3.5 billion. Therefore, they can't do the universal mail-in vote. It's very simple. How are they going to do it if they don't have the money to do it? Can we see how history is completely repeating itself? It's repeating itself like no other. Can you see it? This is where we're at. They have no new playbook. They have no new playbook whatsoever, you guys. None. We win. That's what it is. Because those of the, us that have understood what history is, we know what's up. And that's how it rolls. When you know what's up, you know what's up. And they can't do anything about it. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Symbolism will always be their downfall. Symbolism will always be their downfall. Said it again and again and again. So here's the president earlier today on what he had to say about the coronavirus disinformation by the Democrats. Take a listen. It's looking very good for pretty soon. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. We're going to Florida. We're going to North Carolina. We're doing a double stop. We'll be doing some triples along the way. But right now we're sort of in the earlier stages. The poll numbers you saw were very good. They're really getting good despite all of the disinformation campaigns that the Democrats run, pure disinformation. So we're doing very well. Uh, we'll have a good trip today and I'll see you during the trip. Any questions? Mr. President, when you talk to anybody in your own Yeah, if I have to, I would, but we're doing very well. We needed to spend more money up front because of the pandemic and the statements being made by Democrats, which were again disinformation. We've done a great job with COVID. We've done a great job with the China virus, a great job. Uh, whether it's ventilators or whether it's vaccines, which you'll be seeing very soon, or uh, therapeutics, we've done a great job. But the press was uh, fake, and we have to spend a lot of money. No, if we, need, if we did need, we don't, because we have much more money than we had last time in the, going into the last two months, I think double and triple. But if we need it anymore, I'd put it up personally, like I did in the uh, primaries last time. In the 2016 primaries, I put up a lot of money. If I have to, I'll do it here. But we don't have to because we have double and maybe even triple what we had uh, a number of years ago, four years ago. President, you spent $60 million in that primary. How much are you talking about putting into your campaign? Whatever it takes. We have to win. This is the most important election in the history of our country. 
We have a radical left group going around. These people, there's something wrong with them. There really is. There's something wrong with them. And Joe doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the mental capability to control these people. And you take a look at what's going on. And, and I looked at Pittsburgh. I looked at Rochester. I looked at L.A. last night. I looked at these Democrat-run cities. Now you look at Portland every night. They don't have the strength. They don't have the... the, the de- I don't think the Democrats have the courage to control these people. They're afraid to even talk about law and order. They can't issue the words law and order. All we want is law and order. And I just put out something. The suburbs are coming big to us because the suburbs are next. If you elected this guy, the suburbs would be overwhelmed with violence and crime. So that's where we are. This is the most important election in the history of our country. So that's it. We'll see you in Florida. Thank you very much. So yesterday, you know, we went down a trip on memory lane where I explained to you about Labor Day and how President Cleveland had riots and how he made it a federal crime and how, you know, I reiterated to you guys how Seattle was the place. And what did you guys all say? Holy crap. I didn't know that it was done through Oregon. Where are we having the problems? It's history. It's the same playbook. We've been saying this for three years. I mean, right? You guys are now experts in history to be able to compare and contrast the past and the present. Because what what do we always say? The past proves the future. Why? Because the past is just a reflection of what is to come in the future. Kind of upgraded. Same thing, though. Right? Do you see it? They're not creative. They're not smart. They're dumb. And it's about time that we let them know that we're in control. And the illusion that they've been feeding us is no longer going to stand. So on that note, um, maybe there might be something coming tonight. I don't know. Hmm, maybe. So I'll tweet it, post it on Subscribestar. I have a Patreon too, but I don't know why they let me use it now because I wasn't allowed to use it. So I'll start posting there too for those of you that like Patreon. But I I like Subscribestar because they don't discriminate. Um, I will be posting this show on YouTube shortly as well. God bless everyone. On that note, uh, stay frosty. And uh, remember... This irregular warfare is not that irregular in the sense that we already know what they're doing because they did this how many times exactly about a 100 years ago today. And so these are just the same things over and over and over and over again, just with a tech upgrade. That's basically it. And, you know, huh? let's just say <laughs> I've got an inside scoop on that one. God bless everyone. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart.